of ultra-low sulfur heating fuel, as well as diesel delivery. Now's the time to lock in low heating oil prices with a smart package pay plan. Call 262-FUEL or visit PacketFuels.com. When he finally gets a break, your dad wants a recliner from Mattress Sofa Warehouse for Father's Day. And they're affordable, too. Take 50 60 even $70 off Lazy Boy recliners. Simmons recliners start as low as $279. With over 100 recliners in stock, Mattress Sofa Warehouse has manual, power, lift, heat massage models, and more. A new recliner for Father's Day from Mattress Sofa Warehouse, Gallery Lane, right on the Route 100 Mooresville Bypass. All right, we're back. We uh, head to the phone. Let's give a nice warm radio Vermont welcome this morning to Andy Polito, who is the corrections commissioner here in the state of Vermont. Yesterday, uh, Governor Shumlin traveling over to New York State after word uh, coming out that apparently the uh, two prisoners that have escaped from Dannemore may, may have been heading to Vermont. Uh, Andy, thanks for joining us. How are you this morning? Good. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me on. Just give me your take here on sort of the surprise factor that these guys were able to get out of Dannemora. Well, I think um, from running a correction system, every correctional system, correctional facility is vulnerable to certain incidents that that, um, you try and plan for, you try and be ready for, but... um, these things happen from time to time. The surprising thing about Dannemora in particular is that it's such a secure facility, but, um, you know, when you have staff potentially involved, when you have uh, an aged building as old as Dannemora is, and we have buildings in Vermont that are older but not quite as old as that particular facility, you know, these things are, uh, you have some liabilities and vulnerabilities that sometimes inmates can exploit. It sounds like a plan of this particular type took a fair amount of planning, a fair amount of collaboration, and I suspect that's why details on the on the escape in particular have been light, because I think there's probably a lot of research that's going to have to go into exactly how this thing came together for these two individuals. What, what amazes you most, that they got power tools, that they were able to figure their way out, or that they've been able to be out and for five days now? Well, so the thing that amazes me most is the power tool part. We have a very rigid uh, system in place where we account for tools and so on and so forth, particular contracts coming, contractors coming in and out. Um, and then I think you heard it in Governor Cuomo's remarks earlier on. Nobody heard anything. That, that would be the most surprising uh, piece of this that they were able to do, to cut through. They were in they were in their cells when they cut through. So clearly on the unit floor, um, because there's a cutout behind each bed, so they had to cut through sheet metal. And then the pipes were just beyond uh, that piece of sheet metal. So somebody was able to to work a power tool, a pretty significant power tool, um, and then nobody can hear it. Which if you think about it, it's it's in the middle of nowhere, so it's it's got to be a quieter area. Um, and it's nighttime. And so Governor Cuomo ended one of his quotes with, apparently everybody said heavy sleeper or something like that. I forget what exactly he said. <laughs> yeah. That would be the piece for me that's the... Yeah. And, th- and then, of course, the longer they're on the run, the more um, time they have to, to make plans to stay on the run. So when we've had... I've only had one, knock on wood, escape from a secure environment since I've been in this chair. And one of the things we did is really try and bleed the area right away with as many personnel as we can and we successfully grabbed that individual the same day and so 
uh, those are the kind of things you look for. The longer they're on the run, um, you know, it can go either way. They're either making for more appropriations to stay on the run or they're getting tired. Weather hasn't exactly been great, um, but you haven't seen them committing any new crimes or at least crimes that are directly connected to them. So, yeah. um, And one of them, I believe, has a military background. That would be an additional concern because he may have specialized training. You know, who knows? Tell me about the one escape on your watch. So we had a guy cut a hole through a fence in Windsor, right? So was able to remove a tool and then use it to cut through uh, the back fence. Now, again, Windsor's an older facility with a big uh, yard and uh, not ideal lines of sight. So if we were to build a new correctional facility today, um, I don't, we wouldn't necessarily construct them the way that we have them. And so when you have these older facilities, there's corners, there's dark areas, areas where you need a lot of cameras. Cameras are not an easy solution on a correctional facility. You, you can't just bleed the area with cameras because you need somebody to be able to watch them. And the more you put in front of somebody, the smaller the picture gets, the more they've <laughs> yeah, got to watch. Yeah. So you yeah. want to build facilities with wide open areas, uh, a lot of lighting, and... Um, clear lines of sight, and then it not only reduces personnel, but reduces the strain on the personnel that are working. And remember, these are hard environments to work in, mm-hmm. and staff are vulnerable to burnout. They're vulnerable to the same thing we face, divorce, uh, addiction, mental health issues, medical issues, all those things staff deal with, and so you're trying to alleviate some of that. Uh, the one in Windsor, he was able to get through the way back of the yard, cut a hole in the fence. Um, and then walk out only one fence. That's another thing you wouldn't necessarily construct. Fencing in corrections is expensive. You need specialized people to work with them. They need to be secure. When you have multiple fences, you need to put certain things between the fences. So in Springfield, for instance, uh, there's a particular material that goes through. All those things need to be accounted for. And so um, Dan Moore strikes me as a very secure facility. This is a pretty elaborate plan and then i think even more troubling is that uh they appear to have had what i would see at this level significant assistance in this this is a pretty good plan so uh, even more to come and i'm sure that the that uh, i know when we've had instances not necessarily escape but just any instance incident in a, in a facility you've got to go through questions and people don't always talk and sometimes they'll talk later on so you're trying to piece this stuff together who was involved who heard something um it, these are tricky these mm-hmm. are really really tricky mm-hmm. in the in the vermont case how did the prisoner get the tool so he was able to take it from another part of the facility and it was in a very short period of time it wasn't uh over the course of days. So all he had to do was cut through the fence. So it wasn't like he needed an elaborate sawzall or something. And he was able to do it relatively quickly and then walk out the backyard. So first thing you do, when we hear about an incident like the one then uh, in uh, Danamore, is we start going through all of it. So whenever we have a shift change, there's a certain amount of security checks you go through. Uh, you know, make sure the system goes back and covers all of those security checks now. Uh, make sure that we're checking, that we're following all the protocols, everything is in order. All that said, um, we have institutions. These guys have a lot of time on their hands. They have a lot of time to plan. Um, and obviously, with today's technology, they're able to see how other people are doing this stuff um, and formulate plans. We do shakedowns as a, as a normal course. It 
draws the ire of advocates because they feel like we are being unfair and we're targeting people, but we go through, shake down institutions, make sure that they uh, the contraband that they have we take. Also, property, we limit people's property. That's another thing that draws the ire of uh, advocates and families because we're taking, somebody accumulates too much property, we take it, ship it out. If it's illegal, you know, we, there's a process we go through. But bottom line is we got to be able to see into a cell to make sure that uh, we can see the corners, we can see what's going on, we can see, you know, if they're hiding stuff. Uh, those are the reasons we do these things. People don't think about them until somebody goes through a pipe, but um, that's why we go through these rigid process. And it, it, it does, we do get a little bit of flack for it, but we continue down that path. We're talking with Andy Polito. He's the Corrections Commissioner here in the state of Vermont. If you have a quick question, you can join us at 244-1777, toll-free 877-291-8255. How far did the Vermont inmate get from the uh, facility? It was really short, really, really short. So in my, since I've been in this role, we've had a couple of people walk away from work crew, and that's another area where... The liability area. So we try and get people on a work crew, people that are ready for reentry, lower risk. So it's not like the, it's not like these two particular inmates, but lower risk and usually ready or working on a reentry plan or something of that sort. Um, that's a little bit harder because they're farther away from the facility. But even I think that you know, even in those cases, we've been able to apprehend within a day to two days. Um, it's trickier in Vermont. Uh, smaller states so people are closer to their uh, community so more opportunities to know somebody and with these two guys um, they've got a fair distance to travel and who knows who knows what they had arranged on the outside at this point it's hard to know like so one of the things in my experience is the media wants to know and people want to know right away um, and we don't always know exactly what was going on who was involved is it a bigger plan? Are there multiple people? Is there something going off in another facility as a distraction? Uh, so you got to kind of account for all those things. And so usually what you see from in our system is when we have an incident in one place, all systems go uh, tight. And, you know, that's, uh, those are safety precautions. Because you're not only worried about the public, we're about protecting the inmates from each other I mean, and staff. Um, so there's a lot that goes into this. Um, and like I say details on this i'm sure they're still picking through what happened how they got the tools what tools were there who else was involved in the planning um what did they take with them uh, because i don't know that they they may know that but um were they following security protocols ahead of time did they make sure they only had the right amount of property did all these things have to be looked into one of the reasons uh, we have an investigations unit this is an after action. Our investigations unit, uh, which is attached to the agency, are uh, predominantly law enforcement, prior law enforcement investigators or trained law enforcement or trained investigators. And part of that is because they're used to looking for small clues and piecing them together and trying to figure out exactly what happened. Mm. How often do you check in, inmates? We have... I mean, the head, sort of a head check. There's head counts. Uh, head How counts. often do you do that? I think they're four times a day. I think they're four times a day. Don't quote me on that one. Wait, I just said it. So, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure they're four times a day. Uh-huh. Um, and basically, it's a head count um, across the facility, and then they add up and make sure we come out with the same number. Oddly, 
um, a lot of that's done manually. So that there's a, somebody who sits in one place and it's all tabulated individually. It's just the way correction systems are run. But um, well, that's probably good. I mean, yeah. you, you know, you need to have that visual as opposed to a computer. In this particular case, um, they did the head count, I think, and these guys had put. Um, uh, images or whatever they did the dummies in the bed right. to make it look like they were there so this was this was really planned out yeah. this was really well planned out let me take a call from Northfield Francis good morning morning how are you good so uh, to Mr. Polito um, I've been a private contractor for all the correction institutions in Vermont for 40 something years and from what I see you do have some pretty large holes that um Anybody familiar with the process can go through quite easily. I don't know if there's a way that you'd like to review that or anything, but I'd be open, you know, to tell you about it. Well, I'd prefer you did it in writing as opposed to over the radio, <laughs> for one. Oh, sure, I, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> no, I know. I'm just I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do it over the radio. I know, radio. I'm just kidding. I would prefer if you give me sense. something in writing. The tricky part in Vermont is that a lot of the contractors that come in that do building maintenance are done through the, build, the Department of Buildings and General Services. So that's a little bit of a different nuance in Vermont that I think other states don't deal with. Other states employ their own maintenance people through the DOC. We're kind of an outlier on this particular one. But um, if there are things that we could do better, absolutely we want to know about it because we try is a balance with contractor comes in and contractors are usually have a specialty, so they're not... Uh, they're not necessarily low-cost labor because it could be plumbers or electricians, people that have a trade, and so we try and move them through the system so they can get their work done. But there is supposed to be a process that they go through on the way in and then on the way out. Um, like I said earlier on, I'm sure uh, one of the after-actions on this Dan Moore thing has got to be who was involved because there was obviously a cohort of people that helped facilitate this. And there could be all kinds of things going on in the background, but nonetheless... Um, that's one of the highlights I'd make is that all correction systems have some vulnerability because we have people working in them. And they don't all work for the DOC, and they don't even want to work through the DOC. They could work for another department and so on and so forth. So there's no facility that's foolproof, escape-proof? I wouldn't, I wouldn't make that guarantee with any facility. Because even if they're, they're escape-proof, you still have employees coming in and out um, who know how to get in and out. Uh, and so you're dependent on those employees to help you maintain that security. And those employees are just like everybody else. They have uh, um, health issues and so on and so forth. What you hope you have, though, is a, a, enough series of individual checks um, that people are watching out for each other so that these things don't happen. The power tool thing still just kind of blows my mind, how you could secret one away for any period of time. Well, and it had to be a substantial power tool, I would think. This thing was able to cut through metal, and again, that goes to, um, I would say, if I saw that in our system, are we doing our cell searches on a, on a routine basis? Are we maintaining our property directives so that uh, anything we find in an inmate cell that doesn't belong, we take? and do what we're supposed to. Um, you know, I, those, those, are, those are why those checks are there. And, and again, uh, when we do them, we generally get a lot of criticism from 
family members and advocacy groups because they feel like we're targeting inmates. But this, this is why we try and maintain uh, security like that. Mm -hmm. Quick call from Richard. Good morning, Richard. Hey, good morning. Sounds like you're doing a great job, Commissioner. Thank you. Um, I grew up in Windsor back in the time when Vermont State Prison was located uh, about a block west of downtown and about two blocks east of the grammar school that I attended. And the trucks going up to the farm, which is now your Windsor Correctional Center, went right by my house. <laughs> and I remember in the mid-50s, a couple of guys, a guard, left a prison vehicle. Uh, I think the engine was on. The keys were certainly in the truck in the yard, and a couple of inmates grabbed it and drove it out to two sets of steel doors. So just just adding a little historical perspective, now, no means of criticism at all, but yeah. just uh, and, you know, and, and I think one thing, uh, these are work environments, and so our employees, not our employees, employees in general, though, get, get comfortable in those environments and um, even in a healthy way build relationships with uh, people that they are involved with every day. And so, you, you know, we got to make sure that one of the biggest things that worries me is fatigue with uh, corrections employees and burnout. Um, adequate staffing level. That's why we're, I'm always hounding on, we, do we have adequate staffing uh, and otherwise, because it really we're dependent on our employees to do this stuff and to be vigilant um, and to make sure that they can, you know, they're not burning out on overtime and all these other things. So, Because then they're more likely to help somebody? No, no, then they're more likely to make a mistake, an honest mistake, um, or miss something that they could pick up a small clue, like you say, this power tool was a substantial power tool. Where where was it? Or did they get it that day? Um, how did they move it through the facility? Um, so kind of all those things. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Andy. I appreciate your time at short notice. Sure, anytime, Mark. Andy, Andy Polito is the corrections commissioner talking about the uh, case over at Danamora, which will be, I'm sure, leading the news here at the uh, top of the hour. I'll be coming your way here in just a moment. We'll check in with our White House crew, too, find out what they know about this as well. Take your calls as well next hour. Keep your dial right here. This is FM 96.1 WDEV Warren broadcasting from the top of Sugarbush. And AM 550 WDEV Waterbury, Montpelier, the flagship news is next. AP Radio News. I'm Rita Foley.